0: Let's go back to the garden. We're back in the garden, and now it all goes south rapidly. Something changed radically, terribly, sin enters the world, and one of the consequences, this is fascinating, one of the consequences of the curse was interestingly to the position and role of women in relation to men. Genesis 3.16, to the woman, he said, "'I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. "'With painful labor you will give birth to children.'" And all the women said, "'Amen.'" And your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, this is, this is a cataclysmic shift because prior to this, rulership was what occurred uh, for men and women over creation, over the animals. Now, a cataclysmic shift occurs where rulership now is extended for the first time in history between a man and a woman. It was never intended to be that way. Let's jump forward to the cross, because that was when Jesus came to redeem the world from what? From the curse. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. A few verses later, he writes, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is amazing. God removes the curse, takes away male rulership, which was the fruit of the curse, and restores the balance again between men and women in the kingdom. What is God's intent? Clearly, gender equality in the mission that God has for human beings on the earth. So obviously this begs the question, what the heck is going on then with First Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2? So what we've got to do is we've got to examine this by looking throughout all of Scripture. So we're going to do that. We're going to go through on a whistle-stop tour through Scripture. And I've just kind of picked a handful. I could have gone on so much there. And please be aware that, yes, particularly in the Old Testament, there are plenty of, there's plenty of gender bias. But it makes sense. That time in history not unlike today, but it was highly patriarchal. But even more importantly, in the Old Testament, the curse had not yet been reversed. So we would expect to find gender bias in the Old Testament. But what's intriguing is that we also find God's intent coming through anyway in the role that some women play which are utterly ordained, ordained by God. Now, what we're looking for is three things. We're looking to understand God's perspective on the things that Paul raises in those two scriptures, which are number one, speaking in church or speaking in the gathering of God's people, number two, a woman instructing a man, and number three, woman having authority over a man. So let me just rip into this. We're going to go through this pretty quick. Here's just a sample of them Exodus 15, verse 20. We read about Miriam, the prophet. What is she doing? She is prophesying, bringing the word of the Lord. Who to? Bunch of women that having like a woman small group about the back of the tent. No, she's bringing it to the to the nation of Israel. In Judges four four, Deborah not only is she a prophet, this woman who's the wife of Lapidoth, but she is also the, the she is the prime minister of Israel at the time. She is leading the nation. 2 Kings 22, we find the prophet Holder, a woman who has been consulted by five men who have been sent by the king so that they can get instruction from her regarding God's plans for the nation going forward. Right off the bat, we're seeing in the midst of all this, God is ordaining women to bring leadership, to speak, and to bring direction. First Chronicles chapter 7, we read of this chick called Shira. She's a woman who founded and built three Israelite towns. Now, she didn't do it herself, And she didn't do it with a woman's small group. (laughs) Esther the queen influenced the king and saved the nation. Let's jump into the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. God speaks and says, Our sons and daughters will prophesy. uh, And on on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, these days, and they, plural, will prophesy. Acts chapter 21, Philip the evangelist, one of the seven that were chosen to deal with the... The feeding of the widow issue had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Who did they prophesy to? Their their kind of girlfriends that they did coffee with on Tuesdays down at Starbucks? No, they prophesied to the church in Caesarea. Romans chapter 16, Paul commends, commends. Yay, go Phoebe. He commends Phoebe who we are told is a deacon or a ministry leader in the church. Romans 16, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, the wife's name, is mentioned first. Almost never happens in literature from that time. Denotes the incredible importance that Priscilla had In what was going on. Priscilla is first, Paul calls them his co-workers in Christ. He notes that they risked their lives for him, both of them. All the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. There is a church that meets at their house, not his house, their house. There is something powerful going on here. Romans 16 verse 7, Paul commends two people, Andronicus a man and Junia a woman. They were apostles. Apostles plant churches, move in signs and wonders, and speak into the lives of churches. That's what they were doing. Not only were they apostles, but these two, a man and a woman, Paul says, are outstanding among the apostles. Interesting bit of church history. There was a 200-year period when all the Bibles that were produced had junior, was changed to the male version of that name. So that Bible readers had no idea that there was a woman who was an apostle. Ephesians 4, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus saying that God gave people to be in the roles of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He brings no delineation between the genders and the manifestation of those gifts. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the whole church in Rome that spiritual gifts are given by God, including the gift of leadership. Again, no delineation between male and female. And not only does he say that the gift of leadership is spiritually given to people, but he says that those who have been given the gift of leadership are Expected to lead, First Corinthians fourteen, Paul says, "Brothers and sisters, when you come together." So interesting. The Greek word there is adelphos. It's usually translated "brothers," but adelphos literally means "from the womb." So it could be translated "brothers." It could also be translated "family." Family, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. He has already stated earlier that there are women prophesying in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about how a woman should pray or prophesy in church. It's not should she, it's already accepted that there are women who prophesy and speak into the congregation he just gives within the cultural norms of the day how they should do that so as not to offend unbelievers when they come into the church. And then, boom, out of the blue. First Corinthians 14, Paul says, "Woman should not speak in church and must remain silent. And then 1 Timothy 2, and he says, A woman is not allowed to teach or assume authority over a man. What the heck is going on? Like, has Paul missed his morning coffee? Like, has he been stoned, like, one too many times? You know, zzz, zzz. Like, what's, like, seriously, what's going on here? Like, that's like me going, I love cake. Loved cake. Always love cake. I love all kinds of cake. Cake. Me and cake. <laughs> We've got a relationship. I love cake. What? Cake? Hate it. Never eat it. You'd go, that guy needs to get more sleep. Yeah. The point is this. If there's one thing we know about Paul, he was a highly intelligent man, and he was consistent. His words have become the word of God. God is speaking through him. So when we come to this, we have to assume that there is consistency in what Paul is saying, but we are missing it. If Paul is fine and if Paul is consistent, then there is only one possibility, ladies and gentlemen. And that is that in these verses, Paul is talking to some woman. I mean, it's still in there, right? Paul still said it. He's obviously talking to some woman, but he cannot be addressing women who were in ministry or leadership. How do we know this? Quite simply because of all the women that Paul has exhaustively acknowledged who were in influential positions of leadership in the early church. He has recognized and commended women prophets, women teaching, women deacons, women apostles, these are women who are involved in all of the things that Paul later says that women shouldn't be involved in, so clearly, when Paul says that, he isn't talking to any of these women. Paul is speaking to women who were not leaders and who were out of order. I suggest that we miss it because we don't understand the contextual realities of what was going on at the time in the church of Corinth and in the churches that Timothy was working with. We don't understand the differences in the level of education in the day between men and women. Women simply were not educated. And so we completely miss what Paul is saying. What is completely clear to Paul and clear to Paul's hearers is unclear to us. I suspect that Paul could never have imagined the drama and damage that those words he wrote would inflict on half the church for the next 2,000 years. And I bet that if he could have not, he would have rewritten those words to make them more clearer. I think that he would have taken much more care with how he phrased that, to make clear for us what is already crystal clear for him. That both men and women were to be fully involved in the mission of the church. So I'm gonna suggest tonight that we could actually perhaps paraphrase these scriptures to give us a better idea of what Paul might say. In fact, I would suggest that maybe if Paul could rewrite these, knowing what, what would happen and how the church would take and twist what he said, I think he would perhaps maybe say something like this. Let me paraphrase 1 Corinthians 14. For God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. This disorder, is not acceptable. Now, I'm obviously not talking to the women leaders, women apostles, women prophets, women deacons, but I'm speaking to the women in the congregation. They need to understand that they should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says, instead of being rebellious and calling out questions. If they wanna inquire about something, instead of calling out and disrupting the meeting, They should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church like this. Likewise, I think we could paraphrase 1 Timothy to catch Paul's actual intention in this. A woman who professes to be a follower of Jesus, who's in the congregation, but who is obviously not one of the acknowledged leaders, who is a learner, recognizing the lack of education available to women in that era, Such a woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. She's not permitted to teach with her inexperience or to assume authority over a man because we know that men are educated, but women have not been. And so, until she gains an education, she must be quiet. Here's the most important thing. Where the weight of Scripture is consistent apart from one or two verses, question the one or two verses, not the weight of Scripture. You know, in a court of law here in New Zealand, around the world, the standard of evidence required to convict the guilty party is what they call evidence that is beyond reasonable doubt. Beyond reasonable doubt acknowledges that there's always a little bit of doubt. We're never really, really sure. Even if we were there, differing eyewitnesses will have slightly different accounts. So in any situation when someone has been convicted, there's always a little bit of, oh, I'm just not 100% sure. It's called reasonable doubt. But to convict someone, there has to be enough evidence that it is beyond reasonable doubt that, yeah, absolutely, that happened, they did that. When the burden of evidence is overwhelming, we have all the evidence we need to make a judgment, and I'm telling you today that it is beyond reasonable doubt that women have a shared ministry in the kingdom of God, and it is time they took their place. Is Paul opposing women in leadership? Absolutely not. Is Paul opposing disorder and disruption in the church? Absolutely. Is Paul speaking within a particular cultural context text, that if we're honest, we don't really get? Of course. So what does the Bible show us the place of women is then in the church? I would suggest that it is divinely ordered but culturally constrained. You see, culture is the influence of earth. Purpose is is the influence of heaven. And we are all caught somewhere in the tension between those two. But let me give you four things we must understand about women when it comes to God's church. Number one, women have an equal gifting. You know what, God is an equal opportunity gifter. Unfortunately, mankind isn't, but God knows that. And God is well able to take a woman who wants God's plans and purposes for her life and get her exactly where He wants her to be. Ladies, let me tell you today, trust God that the gifts He placed inside of you are there because God has a plan for how and where you can move in those and see kingdom purposes come to pass. He wouldn't have given it to you if He didn't have a plan for how you could use it. Amen? Second thing we've got to understand, uh, that there is, this is a shared mission that we are on. A shared mission. And now this is not about women taking over. Someone once said that if women ran the world, there'd be no actual wars, there'd just be very intense international negotiations every month. <laughs> it's always meant to be a shared mission. Women running the world would be just as problematic as just men running the world, but just in different ways. We were designed to do this together. Thirdly, we need to understand that this is a divine function that women have. You know what? I have to say this. I think that the divine function that women bring to the kingdom of God is something that I don't think most of us blokes get. I don't think we've ever been taught it. I don't think we've ever examined it. But I tell you, when I look at the scriptures, it is clear that women provide a divine function. There is a divine power that women bring to the role of the shared mission that men simply do not have. I think it's a powerful thing. And if we can just get our heads around it, we will see God do extraordinary things, even more extraordinary things than he currently does. And then lastly, the fourth thing that we must understand about women is that they have a different methodology. On a chessboard, in fact, I think Darcy preached about this some time ago. On a chessboard, the queen moves and interacts completely differently from how the king does. In fact, the queen is the most powerful player on the board. Yet at the same time, you can't win chess without a king. It's a shared mission. Women generally, more relational, more conversational, more in the moment, men are more single focused, more results orientated, more big picture, generally speaking. Different MOs, different roles, in different seasons, for different reasons, there is power in our difference. And when it works together in mutual submission for the purposes of God, miracles happen. I think the effect of the curse and its impact on women around the world has been astonishingly pervasive. I think it has incredibly disenfranchised, not just the church, but the world. It's stolen half of God's army often from the front lines, whole churches and denominations who do not allow women to engage in their God-given giftings in the church have any leadership authority, regardless of their ability or experience. The effect of the curse has resulted in the suffering and death of countless billions of people over the course of history. Women who are denigrated, considered poverty, treated as second grade human beings. And it has crippled societies, economies, and families. And I believe it's absolutely from the devil. And the devil has worked overtime to keep it their way, even though Jesus' work on the cross has made the way for the curse to be nullified. If we get the team up now, that'd be great, just as we, as we come in for a landing. And you know, Luke chapter 13, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing that takes place, and I wanna read this to you. It says this, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and she could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, "'Woman, you are free from your infirmity.' And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Oh, shock. <laughs> "'The synagogue leader said to the people, "'There are six days for work, "'so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath.' And the Lord answered him, "'Man, I love Jesus.'" You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Around the world, around the world, Satan has kept our woman bound for far too long should not every woman, every daughter of God be set free from the misunderstandings about the role and gifting and mission that God has that have held our girls back from the purposes of God. May we enter into the shared mission together, ladies and gentlemen, believing that God's intent is our best strategy. May each one of us use the gifting God has given us and expects us to use. And gentlemen, I'm speaking to you now. May we make room for one another, appreciate our differences, leverage our strengths, support each other in our weaknesses, and demonstrate to the world what God's kingdom looks like come on this earth. If it's okay, I'd love to pray for all their girls. So I'm going to ask all of our ladies to get to your feet right now, if you wouldn't mind. Ladies, you know who you are. And if you don't, we can pray for you later. Come on, guys, let's just, let's just take a moment. I'll... I just want you to close your eyes here. Open yourself to the Lord. You know, there are some of you here didn't even know this topic existed. It's been very interesting and academic, but it hasn't really emotionally impacted you. That's okay. This is still good for you anyway. There are some people here who have been living bound for years and years, being told that they have no place, no place to lead, no place to be involved, no place for their giftings in church. And it has been a ceiling on your soul and God is going to set you free tonight. Absolutely. believe it. Every gentleman in the house, would you in faith just right now, just reach out your hand towards some woman who is standing near you. And let's believe together for God to shift something in our midst tonight. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in our midst right now. And ladies, I want to say this to you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May you rise up and take your place because we desperately need you too. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and grant you peace. May you know what it is to let the shackles of expectation and bad theology fall from your wrists and from your heart. May you know what it is again to find the faith to believe that what God has put in your heart all these years is there for a reason, that where the call is, there is a purpose and there is a way. And may you begin to explore a new freedom and a new reality in the call of God on your life today. Mighty God, I pray in Jesus' name. God, for just a a freeing God to come. God, in the thinking, in the minds, in the hearts and the emotions of our women in this church. God, I pray that you will open up a new day, a new season, a new chapter in the life of our church when our women will stand up and step forward in an entirely new way, where their divine function will be released alongside of our men. And God, that together your kingdom may come here for the sake of every lost person in the world around us. God, I thank you in advance, Lord, not only for what you're doing now, God, but what you're gonna do in the days, weeks and months ahead, God, as we step into a new place of freedom in your name. Jesus, we give you all the praise for what you did on the cross, Lord, what you did on the cross for every woman in this place. God, what you did on the cross for every man in this place every man who believed that he has got to take it all on him, he's got to make it all happen, that it's all up to him, that he has to rule, that he has to provide every aspect of leadership and every aspect of his life. God, I thank you, Lord, that you called us to walk this together, not just in community, God, but together as men and women. God, I pray that your will be done, that your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody, see. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand of praise this evening?